With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Well, an apt way to end the series, an absolute thumping of England by Australia on the third day at Hobart. England collapsed from none for 68 to be all out for 124 to lose the match by 146 runs. Australia, 4-0. Welcome to Cricket Daily. I'm Menas. I'm with Paul Dennett. Paul, well, what a day. I mean, where to start? We should start with the triumph before we get to <laughs> criticizing and whatever else. It's a it's a it's a great occasion. I, I remember um, back in 1986-87. I think I said it before on this show when Australia were getting thumped. Hearing Michael Parkinson being interviewed and he said Australia will get good again. I thought, oh, my seven year old self thought, no, nah, there's no way. Um, but here we are. We are. Ye of little um, faith. But yeah, exactly. So four nil and uh, only one wicket holding it back from 5-0. I must say, I now, after this utter demolition of England, I feel a bit stupid that I've I've kept on finding reasons to give England a chance. I think if there was a sixth test coming up, I'd be saying, well, you never know. Um, they might just get it right. But I think it's time to acknowledge that, um, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a, a bit more of a gulf between these sides than I thought. I thought there was a gulf. There's a chasm. Mm. Maybe it was about 24 hours ago, maybe a bit longer. You sent me a message that England are a chance in this game. (laughs) And I thought at that stage that, you know, the definition of stupid is doing the same thing over and over again. And I didn't just send it to you. I tweeted the stupid thing out saying that um, I think I said something like, if England have a good next 15 overs, then they're in this. And what happened was, they had a good next 15 overs and then they were not in this. So I kind of, I got it wrong on two counts, but um, 
yeah, that's what you get for being, um, oh, I, just, I suppose I just wanted a contest, but uh, it wasn't to be. Well, let's get straight into it because there's so much to get through. Lots of action on the field and all, all the post-match stuff, all the awards were given out. And then there's a lot of questions. A lot of people are watching. I'm sure there are some English fans watching. Probably turn off now because I've got to say, um, you know, it's not a pretty sight. Um, what happened today on the cricket field. If, you, if you're just sort of wondering how your team went, pathetic, awful. I mean, uh, Vaughan was ropeable. I mean, he said it was one of the most spineless performances he'd ever seen. One thing I think that will, you know, would be good for them that, that this could put to bed is this endless gibber I hear from England. They're saying, if only we just had our county cricket in the prime of the season. And, you know, they're making it seem as though if, if only they actually played red ball cricket in July, all of England's woes would be fixed. I, I just think that's the stupidest thing that they keep on trotting it out that, oh, we're playing the red ball cricket at the start of the season and the end of the season, so our batters can't get used to proper, you know, test match style batting. It's like, come off it. Um, you're just not good enough. And until you get the best of your youth playing cricket, um, you know, there's no, there's no chance that the equivalent of Cameron Green in England has probably never picked up a cricket bat in his life because he's playing football or rugby or 15 other sports that are more popular than cricket. So that's what you've got to fix up, not not exactly when you host the bloody county championship. Well, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if you could depress the English fans even more than, you know, the thumping, but you've just really stuck the boot in. <laughs> Hello to all the fans in England. All right, let's start with today. Australia resumed this morning, trying to be- build a lead, three wickets down, Smith and Boland out there. And then we saw an absolute stunning spell from Mark Wood. He ended up with figures of six for 37. Australia pretty much collapsed to be all out for 10 for 155. I mean, a lot sort of in there, but I think, um, you know, Alex Carey made a very good 49 off 86 deliveries. And I I think, you know, that was a a good little knock from him. But apart from that, there wasn't much else. um, And it looked... The, the, rough, the short stuff from Wood unsettled a lot of players. He got Ed and Smith. Smith caught down at fine legs. So, you know, that was a really good morning for Wood and England. So uh, it's like it's like about a month ago that occurred. Um, yes. And I was, <laughs> it was a bit disappointing. Like um, uh, Head, who's I think deservedly player of the series, looked um, more puzzled than he should have been by Wood. Smith played a pretty ordinary shot just uh, giving catch, catching practice uh, to fine leg. Uh, so, yeah, uh, another of my predictions that I got wrong, I've been saying for years that this whole uh, notion that Mark Wood will be threatening in Australia is overdone. But, um, yeah, today he was fantastic. And he's been really good throughout the whole tour. Yeah, he bowled very well. And there was one point when I think Cameron Green uh, got out and yeah, maybe when there was a wicket off a no ball and that would have kept Australia's lead down. But I feel like an idiot saying that because they lost by 150. So, I mean, yeah, you know, but no, but I mean, it was, it was we, we could have declared moment. overnight and won. So, I mean, well, that's what that's we were saying yesterday. Yeah, I think you asked me and I said, I think we already had 20 more, 20 more than we needed. Um, <laughs> if you make enough predictions enough and you make them sufficiently random, eventually you can point to one that's correct. Um, the, the I'm talking about myself there. Um, mm. that wicket off the no ball it was a key moment though because. It felt as though England were all over Australia. If um, if Carey had been out to that, uh, then, you know, it, it could have been different. And uh, as for the no ball itself, I genuinely think it was one of these ones that either way, it was, it was literally a 50-50 call that I have seen in the past 
those ones have been not overturned because the third umpire has said, I can't say with absolute certainty that there's not a millimetre of his foot behind the line. And I remember you've in the past said, no, that should have been called a no ball. Well, today they went the other way and they said, yeah, realistically, there was nothing behind. So I, I have absolutely no problem with the call of that being a no ball. I thought that um, Ian Botham in commentary was a little bit biased. Although Simon Talfield, um, Channel 7, uh, who I have a lot of respect for, said he, would, he wouldn't have called it a no ball. But I, I think it was a fair enough call. Yeah, as you say, it, it did look from one angle like his foot kind of went down on the lo- behind the line. But then the, the look, angle from behind, it looked like you could see the line. So I, I think in the end, they probably got it right. Um, as you say, um, that was pretty big at that time. But then um, Australia, I mean, as I said, had enough runs. Um, I guess the, what annoyed me this morning and got a lot of messages was Stuart Broad's shithouse appealing was just not good enough. I mean, he did it. We, we mentioned it on this podcast a couple of tests ago. He did it again, running down, celebrating, not looking at the umpire. It, it's terrible sportsmanship in a series where everybody has behaved so well, so respectfully. He was pathetic. It's funny because on so many of these issues, I get really worked up about them and you're quite calm and I envy your calm. This is a rare one that the boots on the other foot. Um, and it's kind of, it's an insight as to how I should live my life more often to not be bothered by these things. Cause I'm actually, I agree that he shouldn't be doing it, but it doesn't bother me in the slightest. I think it's um, reasonable uh, entertainment, reasonable theater. Uh, and I don't think he was that bad. I, you know, um, I, I agree that the series was, was played in the best Asher spirit that I can remember. I don't understand how you can say that. I mean, cause the footage is damning of him not respecting the umpires. I mean, it's a, it's a tradition as old as old Dennis Lilly getting down and appealing. I mean, it's so friggin' rude. Uh, I, I told you I don't like it when Rashid Khan does it in the, the Big Bash either. I think it puts unnecessary pressure on the umpires, and I think he's a tool bag. And you know what you'd say to me when I say that normally in these what? sorts of situations? You'd say, yeah, no, I'm fine with it. And that's what you give. <laughs> and it's bloody frustrating, isn't it? Yes. You give a nice, considered, reasoned argument, and the other black goes, no, I'm fine with it. That's what I am. I'm fine with it. Um, I, I think, but, is, but is there something but, in the actual playing conditions that specifically addresses this? Because otherwise, couldn't he make the argument, well, um, the other players are, are appealing towards the umpire. As long as one person appeals towards the umpire, we've met our obligations. I'm going to check the rule book, but I think it's a shithouse look. And and someone said, oh, you know, you should respect his experience. Well, he's played over 150 games. He should know the rules and know what the proper um, etiquette is. So anyway, look, um, as you say, fine, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> so that left, so that what left England um, chasing what 270 for a win, and um, you know, to, to a consolation victory. Yeah. And, and what did one, you think? One thing before that, just um, yeah, go on. The- I just thought it was so symptomatic of it. And, and Ricky Ponting was making this point in commentary as he's, he does so well. He gets a lot right in commentary, Ricky Ponting. But when um, Travis Head came out to bat, surely England knew that in order for them to realistically have a big shot of winning, they had to roll Australia, not for 150 or 100. They had to, they had to knock them over for almost nothing. And they didn't even bring a short leg in for, for Travis Head. First ball, he pops one up straight to where short leg had would have been. Now, he might have played a different shot if short leg had been there, but... What are you waiting for? Like, why not um, absolutely attack it? If he hits five fours, well, well, so be it. I think that's um, symptomatic of Root's overly defensive captaincy the entire the entire summer. And back to the no ball, um, John Lewis, the coach, you said that at one of the press conferences a few a few weeks ago, he was quite um, defensive about the whole 
uh, accusations around why haven't they fixed up the no balling problem. He should go. Like, you can't stay as the bowling coach if you've got players consistently bowling no balls. That'd be like a swimming coach who's, you know, whose charges consistently drown. Yep. And he hasn't taught Stuart Broad to appeal properly. I agree. Um, <laughs> not not often calling for someone to be sacked, but maybe he needs a, a thorough job review. Um, all righty. So it's England needing 270. So there was about not – well, on basically two sessions of play. Uh, they, they started sort of about half an hour after the, the lunch break. What did you think? Did you think England have a chance of making 270? Did you think they will get rolled today? Um, what did you think going into it? It was funny because as the, that opening partnership um, started, well, what did you gamble? What did you bet? I backed Australia, um, <laughs> okay. so I um, I'd backed England earlier on, so I locked in a very nice profit backing Australia, and it was nice to be able to cheer for my home side for change. Um, now um, the the feeling that you get so often that it, you know history tells you that quite often the opening partnership in a in a difficult fourth innings chase will do quite well. And quite often the side will look like they're a real chance. Like England would, you know, were comfortably the favourites for a little while there. Yet um, your kind of historical knowledge says this is not going to last. When you looked at the fact that um, that had uh, the LBW, they didn't even challenge off Rory Burns that was out. They didn't challenge it. They didn't really appeal. Mm. That, that one off Burns that almost hit the stumps. They had the two that flashed through the slips. Uh, they had the other one that was given um, not out and then they challenged it and it was showing as umpire's call. They were like, and there was that other really close court. But, you know, they had about five or six chances. So what I was thinking was unless somehow the ball completely loses any sort of power and becomes a cake of soap, the number of chances that Australia are making, it's going to be very, very difficult for England to win this game. I didn't quite expect they'd lose eight for none or whatever they lost. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of at, at one stage was thinking they might – challenge because you know i didn't expect england to win at headingly two years ago or three years ago um and they did so i, I thought at none for 60 odd oh they could make this interesting but like you i always, always thought they just wouldn't be good enough um but so look what really impressed me was cameron green he took the first three wickets of england's second innings rory burns bowled zach crawley caught by Carey, and Darwin milan bowled off an inside edge and you have to say i mean this has been a coming of age summer for Cameron Green and, and capped it off with his best bowling figures in test cricket of three for 21. Oh, how? I mean, I was I was actually watching and actually fantasising. I was in one of those movies where there's a lightning strike and you get swapped for another person. I was dreaming <laughs> that I was Cameron Green. I was just thinking, I wish I was him so much. It would be so good to be him. You know, the world, <laughs> the world at your feet. I mean, uh, last summer, didn't take a wicket against India. I've just got the figures up here in front of me now. He's taken 13 wickets at 15.76 and, of course, played two really nice innings to close the summer off. Um, and his fielding is mag- magnificent. Um, yeah, he, he is, um, you know, um, he can make an argument that he's the first player picked now. Oh, yeah. And well, you know what I want to see from him now? I want to see a bit more body language because one thing I used to like about, say, oh. someone like Matt Hayden was, you know, puff the chest oh. out, you know, use all of that 200 centimetres and really sort of, you know, impose himself on test matches. You know, I, physically, I think he can do that on the field. Um, as, a, as a frustrated Mate. short person, I think he should definitely do it. Um, I'll tell you how much <laughs> impact body language has. Zero. Um, it doesn't matter right. what you look like. It's a question of right. 
But don't, 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 don't sort of dismiss me. You've, you've come up but with it. A... But if, 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 if a seven foot giant is, is coming towards you and you're five foot six, I'm sorry, but there's some physical menace there. Yes. I'm not disputing his height. You're saying he's got to, you know, put a big body language on. You're basically saying that, that affects performance. I do. I, do. I actually do. You believe in tarot cards and astrology now, do you, Menace? I, I do. I believe that physical body language can be important. Um, well, anyway, so they lose. told Cameron Green that he might have taken these wickets at 10 if he'd put a big frown and look really grumpy and threatening. I'm not even going to bite for that one, but it's so far off. Um, all right. Um, so England are three down. Root and Stokes are together. This is the moment where you're thinking they're two best players. They're two match winners. Can they do something? And and Stokes pulls the short ball from Stark right down Nathan Lyon's throat. He goes for five. That means Stokes returns home with an average of 23.6 with the bat and 71.5 with the ball for the series. So, you know, underperformed and disappointing dismissal. And, and that shot really underlined to me, actually, this could end today yeah it's a really disappointing series from a, a player who promised um so much um but we said that beforehand like he, he's a, a player who produ- produces great performances and his overall record is solid but it's not actually great so you know i think they do expect too much of someone who has a, a batting average in the sort of mid 30s and a bowling average in the low 30s it's, it's very very good uh but it's not um you know he's his, his career first-class record is very similar to Chris Wokes's. Uh, so, mm. But, yeah, I, I did expect more from him, and I think he would have been better served playing aggressively uh, throughout. I know he got out playing an aggressive shot at the end, but that was just, um, you know, why not hit along the ground? Yep, and then, you know, Root goes to bowl and bowled. Um, Ollie, um, Ollie Pope was bowled by Cummins. I think so. Boland got um, Billings caught at mid-on before that. But then, so I want to ask you a question. There's three dismissals. You've got the Rory Burns in the first test to Mitch Stark. You've yep. got Manus Labashain in the first innings here, bowled, falling over. And then you've got Sam Billing. Uh, sorry, Ollie Pope uh, getting bowled again. Uh, it seemed like you forgot where his stumps were. Rank the three in, in you know, most embarrassing to least embarrassing. Labashen has to be most embarrassing because he fell over. Yep. And yep. Um, Burns has to be second most embarrassing because of the first ball of the of the, the summer. Um, and I'll tell you what, Pope has got to be very thankful <laughs> for those other two occurred because it's a very rare group of three dismissals that his wouldn't be the most embarrassing. It's like he just moved 30 <laughs> centimetres. It's like he thought the stumps were in a different position. He just um, attempted to leg glance a ball off middle stump and missed. It was just, um, um, yeah, it was... It was very, very poor. And back to Root, poor bloke. Um, you know, finished up with an average of 32 for the season. Uh, he batted really well for so much of it. And I don't think any other ball in the entire test match really did anything like that. That one kept ridiculously low. Uh, even Bradman would have only been able to probably <laughs> work that for two. Um, that was... Yeah. Just, uh... <laughs> <laughs> You're um, right. Unlucky. So... And I've got... On that. Billings, yeah. that probably the softest dismissal of the summer. Like he just absolutely, perfectly chipped it as gently as possible to mid on. So bloody hell, it, they did. That was big. Ba- that was big bash stuff. That was village. Um, and then uh, what about Carey's catch off Wokes? Um, mm. Off Wokes's edge to get off Boland's bowling, diving one handed to his right. That made up for 
you know, not taking some to his right um, early this series. So that was a great catch. Um, so England all out for 124. They lose 10 for 56. Cummins cleaned up the tail. So the figures in the final innings, Mitchell Stark, one for 30. Pat Cummins, three for 42. Scott Boland, three for 18. Cameron Green, three for 21. Uh, England made their highest Ashes opening stand in eight years and still got bowled out for 124. Um, tell me, do you have a stat of the day? Um, I did, and I do, um, and I've forgotten that at the moment. It'll come to me, but I just before well, I get to good that, day, I'm, bad day. Go on. Well, look, one thing I just wanted to say: uh, there's so many dismissals in this last day that were sort of emblematic of everything that went wrong with the series for England. But that last one of Ollie Robinson um, backing away and basically walking into the square leg umpire almost—he was that far away—and then getting bold middle stump. That's just like, oh, I mean, no. I know that I just. No Australian team has ever packed in the towel like an English team did like that. I mean, Australia has never, ever, ever done anything like that in the history of our great nation. I mean, we always put in – yeah, but he backed away to square leg, I know. But um, <laughs> we always put in and, um, yeah, I don't think this England side put in. So good day, good day, bad day. All right. Oh, uh, oh, yep, go, okay. on. go on. You, all right, good day. Uh, Shane Warne and all the golfers because Warney from about the first ball today was rooting for a three-day test like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he was cheering every w- wicket in the back and it had nothing to do with the 4 nil result. He was just eyeing off two days off. So no, that's sound- him. Like, it's like you've got the best job in the world, a job that I would kill for. You should be I agree. cherishing cherishing every moment of it. That irritates me when they do that, especially when they're, um, you know, oh, we're going to have to do a bit of overtime tonight. Well, you bloody well, you know, doing the, the thing that everyone else would want to do. Yeah, agree. Uh, and good day, Pat Cummins, because uh, there's some footage going around of um, the celebrations on the podium of the Australian team and all the players were fizzing champagne and Usman Khawaja ran away because his, uh, his religious beliefs, Muslim, he doesn't want to be sprayed in alcohol. And Pat Cummins um, stopped his teammates, stopped Warner and all the others, told them to put down the champagne and made sure Khawaja come back in to the podium celebration. And it, there's some clips going around. Uh, but, you know, the, the leadership displayed by Cummins there, a uh, small thing, but it was pretty special. No, he's a legend, isn't he? He's like, he's just, um, I'm so happy that he's Australian captain. And that's, I, I actually, I hadn't seen that, but that's really nice of him. And as it should be. Mm. And um, bad day. I couldn't really come up with one apart from um, Joe Root because uh, at the press conference and then in the media room afterwards, the poor bloke uh, just sounds like a broken man. He's exhausted. Uh, you, you know, he's been asked the same questions at every press conference about why they're so bad, what needs to change. Um, so, yeah. Um, and also I thought, I don't know if it's a bad day, but I do have a lot of sympathy for Darwin Milan. His his child came six weeks early, six weeks premature, so he wasn't um, back in England for the birth of his child. So there's a beautiful photo on Instagram of his, his partner or wife. So, um, yeah, bad day, the English. Um, but, you know, I say that with some sympathy, and that's hard for me because, you know, I had a lot of derision towards the English. Yeah, uh, I, I know you do. Um, all right, I'll come up with my start of the day. Um, yep. In in round figures, uh, I believe that we had roughly 9,000, 8,000 and 8,000 attending the test. That's right, yep. So that's, so that's 25,000 in an year, a time when it was a dead rubber, when COVID has meant, um, you know, loads of people aren't turning up to things. 
and when no Barmy Army of any great note were there. So even in spite of all that, 25,000 people in a city of 250,000 people, that's 10% of the population. So take Sydney with 5 million. It's kind of the equivalent of 500,000 turning up to a, a Sydney Test match. So for all people who say that the Hobart crowds are small, yes, they're small relative to other venues, but it's not because the people in Hobart don't turn up. It's just that there aren't that many people there. So oh, I thought this was a, a massive triumph for Hobart. Um, and the pitch was, I, I thought it was a much rather this sort of pitch than a, um, than the SCG pitch that we saw or um, some of the, the, you know, that Melbourne pitch from four years ago. Give me this any day of the week. I thought this was a, a really highly watchable test match. And um, I'd be, as I said, I'd love it if they said, let's make it a six test match ashes going forward and give Hobart a permanent spot. And haven't I changed my tune from earlier on in the summer? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It was a great test match. Um, I I thought the conditions were about right. Uh, Yeah. Three day test match is probably a little bit short, but certainly um, the grandstand finish on a Sunday night. Are you leaving? No, I just realised that I'm, uh, my phone's in battery trouble, but I have a, a charger right here, so I'm just um, <clears throat> charging it. Good. Excellent. All righty. So lots of questions to get to, but just a couple of things before we get to them. Um, so player player of the match, surprisingly, wasn't Nathan Lyon. They actually gave player of the <laughs> match to Travis Head, and the joke there was Nathan Lyon didn't bowl, bowl the ball in the match. Um, so player of the match and player of the series was Travis Head. And now Travis Head in the series made 357 runs at an average of 59.5, the leading run scorer on both sides. Are you happy with him getting those two awards? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think, unfortunately for bowlers, batters do tend to, to get these awards more than bowlers. But I think in this case it was well-deserved because you look at the averages across the series even the England bowlers averaged pretty well. Like they're averaging, you know, 23, 25, 26, 26, 30. But th- those are pretty good averages. The Australian bowlers' averages are off the charts. But as far as the batters are concerned, of those who played more than a, um, you know, Kawaja, an, outst- an outlier because of that amazing test match. But for, for head to average 59, next best for Australia is Labuschagne on 42. And the best for England, Johnny Bairstow, who didn't play that many games on 49, and then Joe Root on 32. So it was a really bowler-dominated um, series. So I, I think that Travis Head deserves it. And um, I, I think it was a, a pleasant change from what we've seen in Australian conditions in, in, in previous series. I think this is the model for the future. Give the bowler something and you get a, a series that's, that's, that's much more watchable. Just of the other batters, um, interesting that Warner and Smith they, they really sort of came off the boil after the, probably the second test. But I actually think a lot of credit goes to Warner and Smith for setting up the series. They both, Warner had two 90s, Smith a 90 in the second test to, to really put Australia in front. So they played their part. But what was good was uh, they weren't relied upon, as, as had been the case three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, in an ideal world, they would have got some more runs towards the back end of the series. But geez, um, you're, you're starting to become pretty um, needy because if the Australian form is so good. I said the other night that if if Green, if um, uh, Carey got into some form, then we basically had one through 11 in sublime form. And, and, and that's what they are, that it's a, um, as I said before, it's not a great side, but it's starting to head in that direction. Like it's a bloody good side. I'm really excited to see how they go 
um, in the subcontinent. But it also shows just how difficult it is to try to even get within a within a whiff of Bradman. That um, both Labuschagne and Smith's averages are back now in the fifties. Labuschagne's like fifty six or something. So um, you know, you get near him and he'll smash you away. Yeah, ordinary. Um, all right, I just want to go through the Australian um, bowling averages for the series because I think they make uh, a phenomenal reading and then we'll ask, yep. answer all the – actually, I want to then talk about Virat Kohli then we'll answer all the questions. But firstly, Scott Boland led, led the averages. He played three matches, 18 wickets, an average of 9.55, a strike rate of 27. And then – um, so that was sort of the just the, the standout stat. But the leading wicket taker was actually Pat Cummins, 21 wickets at 18.04 with a strike rate of 36. Mitchell Stark was then second with 19 wickets at 25.36. And then Scott and then Scott Boland, then Nathan Lyon, 16 wickets, then Cameron Green, 13 wickets. So uh, a really good team effort um from all the bowlers. Yeah, superb. And the um and you look at the averages I read out the England averages before, but those Australian averages that for Poland nine and a half and Green fifteen point seven, Cummins eighteen, Lyon twenty four, Richardson twenty four, Hazelwood twenty five, and Stark twenty five. The worst is Nisa averaging um, thirty one in his only in these one Test match, and that's perfectly acceptable. In another series, that would be sort of the midway range. So it's a, a phenomenally dominant performance from the Australian bowlers. All right, so let's get into all the questions. But before that, after we recorded last night, I, I get off my phone and I see that the huge news has dropped that after seven years at the helm of India's test side, Virat Kohli has stepped aside. He, he resigns as the having the most wins ever as Indian test skipper. And uh, you go first, Paul, but, you know, what do you think his legacy is as test skipper and what was your reaction Probably answer them in the reverse. I was surprised. Um, I suppose not as surprised as I would have been a year ago. A year ago, I would have been dumbfounded. Um, but obviously, it's been um, coming to a degree with him standing down from the the T Twenty captaincy, standing down from RCB captaincy, getting axed as the ODI captain. Um, disappointment as well. Like, look, if it was purely just him saying I'm cooked, I've had enough, then that's fine. I'm not disappointed at all. But and I must say, I've been focusing so much on the Ashes, I haven't really had a chance to delve into it deeply. But from what I've seen on Twitter, there's a lot of um, feeling that maybe it's a sort of Saurav Ganguly, BCCI sort of thing that's um, squeezed him out. If that's the case, I think that's really disappointing because as much as I, you know, I criticised him the other night for, for the things he said into the stump mic, but I, I think he's a great, great for cricket, uh, a wonderful player and has been a really good leader of India. And I think his legacy will be the fact that um, he came to Australia and beat Australia as the first Indian side to do so, the first Asian side to do so, and then did it again two years later. Um, that's, you know, magnificent. The fact that they then effectively won in England and then almost won in South Africa um, a few a few months later. They're doing things that no Indian side was close to doing uh, in years gone by. And I think that um, he, he improved the fitness standards of the side. Um, I think he... Uh, improved the sort of professionalism and determination of the side a little bit as well. So, um, yeah, I think he's been very much a force for the good in world cricket, and I'm really sorry to see him stepping down. 
Yeah, I agree on that last part. I am sorry to see him go. It was wonderful to see him lead that side. And I think back to when he took over the job in Australia seven years ago when MS Dhoni quickly retired and he was thrown into the role, still quite young, and excelled with the bat. He he added some, I wouldn't say spine to the Indian team because I think they've had that for a while. But yeah. he, he actually... I think that the Indian team started to impose itself more on world cricket in the test arena. And look, Coley's a strong character and I think his team started to mirror that. And sometimes it it was ugly. Sometimes he got it wrong, no doubt about it. Sometimes he seemed to get more leeway than most international captains. But I think he, what he did to Indian cricket has been immense and uh, he's made them, you know, the, the, the box office team in the world and, uh, it's a sad, it's a shame that he's retired, but I'm actually hoping we get to see the best of Coley with the bat again because yes. the last two years we really haven't seen that. I agree. And um, in terms of the Indian side that he inherited, I, I sometimes maybe I make too much of this, but I still remember that tour where they had the, the complaints about the practice facilities in, at the Gabba. Uh, they had their letter of complaint about the practice facilities ready within five minutes. It was like they were spending their time on that and Shikha Darwin suddenly not batting at the last minute and him having to walk out. They're complaining about the the, the standard of vegetarian food and uh, all these things that um, I just don't think they do as much under Vera Yeah, sure, they might complain, but to give an analogy, I remember a, a few years ago, they had the camera on Andrew Johns in an NRL State of Origin uh, game and they just focused on him the whole, they put a little montage at halftime and every time he kicked the ball, as soon as he kicked the ball, he got tackled and smashed. And he knew that the opposition were going to do that. And as he was getting tackled and brought to the ground, each time his eyes were just following the path of the ball, it was as though he was unaware he was being smashed into the mud. So determined was he to focus on the main prize. And I think that's what Indian cricket has done much more under Virat Kohli, that he sort of said, we can make our complaints and everything else, but let's just win the bloody game. And I think that's been the final sort of um, tick across to where they've then uh, become, you know, the best team in the world in the last few years, uh, for, without any doubt. So, yep, um, I hope, hope you're right that his um, batting you know, improves as now that he's got the, free of the, the leadership burden. And I uh, can't wait to explore the politics behind this decision in the weeks to come when yeah. more information is available. All right, let's get into the questions. Now, there's 14, so quick answers um, tonight, Paul, for both of us. Um, all right, first question, Reese Kemp, does Hazelwood get back into the team? Good question. Um, you know, it's a, if there was a sixth test and he was available, who are you going to drop? Um, it's it's a bloody difficult one. Um, I think they probably would drop Boland for him. And you'd look at that in years to come and think, how could you drop a bloke who's averaging negative three or something? Uh, but um, I think over time, Hazelwood has proven to, you know, to be absolutely all class. So, yes, he would get back in, but not easily. Without doubt, he gets back in. Your turn. Oh, it's me. Okay, this is from Andrew M. Hey, fellas, loving the podcast. Joe Root said prior to the series that this Ashes would define his captaincy. How would you define his leadership over this series? Terrible. Uh, it's a captain's responsibility to get things right, and they've got selections wrong, their performances have been wrong, and in the end he just hasn't been able to get this side up. Uh, selection decisions seem befuddling. The fact that Broad didn't play in that first test and line up the two left-handed. So, yep, I would say how would you define his leadership over this series? Pathetic. Just too defensive and um, making just too many uh, – getting too many easy decisions wrong. 
uh, but up against a pretty strong barrel of opposition as well. That the Australian players are they're a better side in home conditions. They had really sort of abbreviated a difficult preparation. Um, so he had a lot against him, and it probably was going to take an amazing captain to get them halfway competitive in this series. You know, if you had um, Joe Root, but with Ian Chappell's brain and captaincy credentials, maybe England might have lost at 3-1. I don't know. Um, so hey, he had a very, very tough job to do. He did it gracefully, with grace, um, and I think he's well-liked within his side. But tactically, um, I think they got a lot wrong. So very poor. Yeah, he's a good bloke. How am I doing on the short short answers, by the way, Menace? Um, failing miserably. Richard M. <laughs> um, Richard M. The last two tests kind of lead me to think that unless Smith and Labuschagne both refer, revert to their high standards, we're looking at a frustrating and aggro trip to Pakistan later in the year. Thoughts? Really looking forward to the series. And I think it's not a question of them changing their high standards. I just think that, you know, test cricket's hard and you can't always succeed. I think that we're going to go pretty well in Pakistan. I, um, although I've got form of that predicting us doing well in the subcontinent, we've ended up getting thrashed. But early, early blush, <laughs> I think we're a big chance. Yeah, I'm not worried about Smith and Labuschagne at all. They're class. Uh, the, the wickets were actually difficult to bat on right throughout the summer. And, um, yeah, not worried about that at all. Reese Kemp. Who would you have chosen as man of the series? Yeah, I'm used about this question when I saw it come up. And look, I think I probably would have leant towards Pat Cummins, leading wicket taker, uh, first job as skipper, a uh, first series as skipper. I, I just think um, he, he probably could have got player of the series. But I think Travis Head's there or thereabouts. I just think batters always get these. Yeah, I think batters always get them, but this time it was deserved. All right. Okay, Steve Carlisle. What do you think will be the bowling attack in Pakistan? Bear in mind they usually play quicks and one spinner, often two. I think we'll see pretty much the similar bowling lineup that we were seeing playing in this test series. I don't think there'll be too many differences. Bearing in mind fitness, I think Stark Hazelwood and Cummins with Lyon and Green. Um, will be the attack unless there's a raging turner, which is not really Pakistan style. It's been so long since we've been there, 1998, the last tour of Pakistan. It's hard to know without seeing the pitches. I do know that they've made a concerted effort to bring faster um, pitches that suit the fast bowlers more into Pakistan domestic cricket. So I think we'll just have to wait and see what the pitches look like. But hopefully they're not horrible, flat, attritional, draw-type pitches. Brewer 74. I think Warner needs to be looked at for future series. Looked frail after the first couple of tests. Is there anyone other than Harris that could open with Usman? Well, Will Pekofsky is still the one that I think is um, the, the the big future for Australia uh, in that regard. Um, but I'm still absolutely backing Warner. I think that um, it, it, he's in my side without any doubt at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that one. And I think when he eventually retires, there's a queue of openers that we could think about, Bukowski, Renshaw. So no problems there. And I think that's um, a bit of a, a stretch. Andrew M again, what do you think about Woodman coming in down the order? An excellent batsman, but could be too old to open and more suited at five or six. I'm really happy with him opening for this year in the subcontinent. And I think... Um, 
going into next summer will reassess. But I, I think that he's the perfect opener actually for the subcontinent because a lot of the times they do open with spin bowling. Yeah, I'm happy with him opening. Reese Kemp, what was your moment of the series, Paul? Mm, you go first, Minnes, because I haven't seen that one yet. I'm going to think about it for a second. All righty. I, I think there was a lot of great moments. Uh, the Scott Boland um, MCG morning was breathtaking. But I think for me, I just think that Stark first ball, after all the speculation, when he just runs in and knocks over Rory Burns, and the emotion, the passion. I love the fact that the first ball of the Ashes has such mystique and it often lives up to it, that it, it can be tone-defining. Mm. Slater in 93-4 and the in 94-5 and Harmison. I, I think um, they are pretty good. I, I'd probably say Kawaja's century in Sydney, but probably Scott Boland the night before at Melbourne when the 40,000 were really going for it uh, and it sounded like sort of the... 80,000 there. That's the best atmosphere I've um, witnessed in an Australian ground for some time. All right. Torben, go for it, Paul. I think this Aussie team could be one of the, could be one of the greats. Before this series, there were question marks that still should be addressed. What do they need to focus on to make this team one of history's best? Good question. Good question, Torben. I think undeniably it's the way they play overseas, the way we play in the subcontinent this year, and that to me is the, the, the definition of how good this team is. And and they need to beat South Africa at home. They need to beat India at home, two teams that haven't lost here um, on their last couple of tours, South Africa even three. So uh, there's a way to go, but generally I think it's about the balance is right. It's about performances now. I think if you compare it to the really great Australian side of the early 2000s. The big difference is, I suppose, um, as good as Lyon is, he's not Shane Warne. So that would be ideal if we could get an absolute superstar spinner coming through. And the top six, they're, they're starting to look pretty good. That, um, you know, if, if uh, Head um, keeps playing this way, Kawaja or Pekovsky, um keeps playing that way, and if Green keeps developing, then, um, I, you know, I think that what, what, I agree with what you said, Menas, that if they could start performing really well overseas, especially in the subcontinent, um, then I think it's just one fantastic spinner away from, from being a great side. Cam Allen, is Broad the most petulant cricketer in living memory? I'm totally with you, Menas. His celeb appeals are completely rude and inconsiderate, as is the way he treats his fielders. I don't, I don't mind him. I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority, but I think that um, he's quite affable when he's talking to the Hawkeye, not the Hawkeye, the Spider Cam at the drinks break, presumably because he wants to get a job in the Spy, Sky Sports commentary box. I, I just think he's um, he's okay. And uh, as I said, uh, the celeb appeals don't bother me any, anywhere near as much as they do you, Menace. You heard my pace. I'm stunned that Paul is. Paul is such a polite person. I'm so no, surprised I'm that, well, anyway. Um, Cam Allen just wants to say thanks very much. Congrats for the coverage over the course of the series. Thank you. All right, you're. And he also and he, he made a point of mentioning Julissa in there as well. And um, well, I made a point of leaving her out because she's, she's done. <laughs> how many of these has she done? One or two? In well, you and I have done like fifty. And she's done like one. <laughs> you'll, you'll go. Hi, Julissa. I'm sure you're listening. Uh, I distance myself from those remarks as always. Uh, Ashley Chin, minutes. You might want to look at the last wicket by Cummins. Much like Broad, he didn't turn to look at the umpire either. That's the Australian captain, mate. So, Actually, I hope 
Yeah, so I hope Ashley's joking. I hope that's a joke because in, in text you don't have tone. But if you're not joking, Ashley, then I would like to say you might want to look inside your your skull and see if your brain is still there because yeah, the, the, if you're clean, bold, you don't have to look at the umpire. But, Ashley, I think you said that in good fun. But if not, um, get a fucking brain check. <laughs> All right, Tony Booth, sorry, joined late, but Menards is wrong, Ari Green's body language. Less is more, simple stare at most, agree with Paul Dennett. Well done, Tony. Um, Very eloquent text. You're obviously an intelligent person. Uh, Yeah, I don't mean that we have to start running around like pork chops, but I just think Green can start to impose himself physically on games, much like Matt Hayden did uh, when he did that. All righty, well, that's it. Um, Lots of great questions. Thanks, everybody um, that have um, watched. There's a a comment here. Which of you two could take the moniker the bin lid? Um, You know, like Travis Head, like doing that. Um, (laughs) So um, when, when you're in close, you snaffle them all. He never misses. Um, I don't know. Let's call Jaleesa the bin lid because she's not here. She never misses. <laughs> all right. Oh, if I, was at, I, I wouldn't admit it. If I was at short leg, I'd be more at um, mid-wicket. Mm. Um, all righty, everyone. Well, that's it for our daily Ashes shows. We finished, you know, early. So thanks, everybody, that have listened every day. I think we'll probably take a little, like, a week off now. Uh, I haven't told Paul or Jaleesa that, but let's just we'll take the rest of the week off. We'll catch up soon, heading into the women's ashes. Uh, but, yeah, thanks, everybody, that have watched live and listened. Um, Paul and I have had a lot of fun doing them. Can't believe it's over. It must be from go to woe, one of the fastest, if not the fastest, ashes series of all time. But, yeah, I echo that. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching and really appreciate it, and I uh, hope you've enjoyed them. All righty, everyone. Good night, and um, see you soon. Bye. Bye. Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.